Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. And, and I want to, uh, today, I'm, I'm going to speak into a little bit uh, around the whole thing of freedom. And, and, and to me, it does kind of fit into this whole thing of, of love. Because the reality is, the more that we deal with ourselves, you know, the more that we can love other people. You know, the Bible says, uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, uh, you know, and love, love your neighbor as, as yourself. Uh, have I said that right? Anyway, thanks, thanks Buster. Good, uh, good. And, 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 but, but the whole thing is there, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And so the, the more freer I get, the more I'm in a position to love other people. And, and so, you know, I want to do a message today that I call uh, pressure test. Uh, everyone say pressure test. And, and who knows, the year in the last kind of year has been a bit of a pressure test. Like we have entered into the most crazy season ever. And, you know, thank God, Queensland, we, we've been, you know, probably one of the best places to, to live. But regardless, it's been a pressure test. And, and you know, when I think of a pressure test, uh, I, I kind of don't think of a positive thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not at home and I'm praying to the Lord. Father, I'm just believing for a season of pressure. You know, like, if you could just take me through a pressure test, God, that would be really awesome. I don't pray that prayer, okay? Uh, and if you do, you should stop. <laughs> But the reality is a pressure test is actually a very positive thing. Yeah. See, when, uh, when, when they extract oil from the depths of the ocean, uh, a very expensive commodity, they do something before they extract the oil called a pressure test. And what they do is they ram mass amounts of pressure uh, through the pipes before they use them. And, and they do that to see whether or not the, the pipes... Uh, have any weak spots, any, any spots that, you, you know, might crack as the oil is, is being extracted. And, and when they reveal weak spots, because the pipes are so expensive, they don't just automatically get rid of the pipe. But what they do is they send an expert to the weak spot so that that expert can repair and strengthen so that the pipe can still be used for the purpose that it was made to be used for. See, sometimes God allows his children to go through some pressure so that it reveals some weak spots, some dysfunction, but he doesn't do it so that he can identify and then discard the vessel. He does it so that he can send the expert of the Holy Spirit to, to mend and to strengthen and to heal so that we too can do the thing that we were put on the planet to do. You know, I remember I was preaching in, in a great church in New Zealand and, and there was this, uh, you know, I've kind of been known for kind of ministering freedom to people. And, and, and so there was this one young lady that was brought along to the meeting. And, and I didn't know this, but she had just tried to end her life for the 10th time. She was about 23 years old. She'd been attempting suicide since she was 13 years old. She was in the psychiatric ward, had been diagnosed with almost every kind of thing that you can imagine. You know, sleep disorders, uh, anxiety, depression, suicidal tendencies. And so some of her friends knew that I was ministering, so they went and got permission to get her out of the psychiatric ward so that she could come to the night meeting. You know, I want to tell you tonight, I'm going to share a story of freedom in my own life 
that you would not have ever have heard. And, and we're going to see the power of God move in this place tonight in a powerful way. If you know someone that needs freedom, you need to do whatever you can to get them here tonight. And, and, so, and so I minister and a couple hundred people, it's a large church, a couple hundred people end up at the altar. And, and as I'm ministering, this one young lady, I didn't know her, but she just stood out. And of the 200 people, it was like she was illuminated. And I remember grabbing her hand. I didn't know her story. And, and I said to her, I said, I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I said, but, but get ready to have the best sleep that you've had in more than a decade. She had massive sleep issues. She had been trying to kill herself for 10 years. I said, get ready because you're about to have the, because of what God's about to do, you're going to have the best sleep you've had in more than a decade. And she's weeping in the presence of God. The power of God hits her. She goes back to the psychiatric ward so completely healed of every disorder that had been spoken over her life that they tried to diagnose her with something else. They tried to diagnose her with personality disorder because they said, you can't be the girl that you've been this past week and now be this person that you are right now. But guess what? She never changed. She stayed healed. She stayed whole. Since she got out of the psychiatric ward, she actually directed a movie about suicide awareness about her friend that had actually ended her life. She's spoken in front of the UN uh, in New York City about suicide awareness. She's won awards like New Young New Zealander of the Year. They've just made a movie about her in New Zealand called Girl Under the Bridge. Right? Her name is Jazz Thornton. And what I want to encourage you is that no matter what kind of a pit you might find yourself in, let me tell you, Jesus is always the answer. No matter how bad you think things might be, there might be some struggles that no one else knows about. Let me tell you, Jesus is always the one that can shift you out. And just before we get to the word, because I feel like I've got a powerful word today. But before we do that, we, we create, I've traveled for nine years around the world. Uh, we just lived in America for four years in San Diego. We've come back a year ago. We're about to plant a church. But one of the things we launched in America, and I don't know if the guys have got a slide or not, is a thing that we call A Freedom Experience. And, and what it is is an online uh, course. And, and if, you, if you take a photo of that and just remember the website, afreedomexperience.com, and we have two courses. It's a 21-day journey that you go on that is full of radical God encounter, but it's also full of you permanently... Uh, renewing your mind, where you actually change a mindset. So one of the courses, it, there's two of them at the moment, and we're working on another one soon. Uh, one of them is about destructive mindsets, where you, it will guide you to pick one mindset that you permanently change. A lot of healing, a lot of God encounter. The other one is our newest one, it is on addictions. You know, just, I was at the, the IC uh, pastors thing the other day and I had a young man come up to me and said, man, I've just started, I'm on day 17. He said, you've literally saved my marriage. And, and so this is a powerful tool that you can go. So normally people pay $47, which gives access for 30 days, right? And then after that, if you want to stay there as a subscription, so you can keep doing the courses and all the resources we do of like 10 bucks a month. But I, I want to make it free for you. So if you use the code BLESSED, okay, you might need to write that down. But if you go to freedomexperience.com, use the code BLESSED when you sign out, you'll get 30 days for free. Uh, if you don't want to make sure you pay everything, unsubscribe within 30 days. You'll totally have 30 days to do the 21-day course. If you want to do other courses, you can hang around for a bit. So is that cool? Yeah. Uh, it really is changing. We've had people get free of anxiety, addictions, and so, so much more. Uh, but I want to speak to you today uh, about a guy in the Bible who really had a whole heap of mental health issues. Uh, his name was Elijah. 
And, you know, if you don't know the story, Elijah starts off where he ends up prophesying to an evil king and queen that it's not going to rain until his word. And there's this drought that happens for three and a half years. He then ends up in this place and, and the Kirith Ravine where he drinks from the brook and the birds from the sky feed him. And then he ends up in Zarephath where a widow provides oil and flour that never runs out. And eventually her son dies and Elijah grabs the boy and miraculously brings him back to life through the power of God. Uh, eventually, the pinnacle of his life, he ends up at Mount Carmel, where he stands before the nation that had turned away from God. And he says to the evil bow prophets, he says, you put a bull in your altar, I'll put one in mine, and we'll see whose God answers by fire. Many will know the story, and they're cutting themselves and carrying on. And Elijah calls fire from heaven, and it literally consumes the sacrifice he kills with the sword the 450 evil bow prophets and the whole nation turns back to God. Who knows that national revival can still happen? Who knows that God could still save a nation? And so national revival happens. He is the man of God, the man of the hour. But then there is this moment where one word comes from evil Jezebel, where she says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. He ends up afraid. It says he was in fear and he ran away and he ends up under a tree. He's burnt out. The angels say you need food because there's no more left in you to make the journey. In other words, you've run out of gas. You're out of steam. He's, he is burnt out. He is suicidal. He's there saying, just kill me. I'm done. I'm finished. He's, he, he's full of fear. Uh, he ends up in a cave, which to me speaks of escapism. Because often the temptation when we go through pressure is to find dark places to hide so that I don't have to deal with the stuff that's being brought up because of the pressure. And he ends up in a cave of escapism and eventually comes out of the cave. And, and that's where God you know, brings the fire, the, 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 the wind, the earthquake. But then it was the still small voice of God that brought him out of the cave. And so I want to give you three things that I believe Elijah had forgotten in a pressure test that you need to know. And the first one is this, is you've got to remember that it's the Word of God that sustains you. Or in other words, it's the Word of God or the voice of God that literally sustains you. So you see, watch how Elijah started. He starts off, it's a picture of him hearing the voice. Remember, this is how he started, the beginning. He hears the voice of the Father. It's not going to rain for three minutes. So it's a picture of intimacy, connectedness, and closeness. He hears the voice, and he prophesies what he hears. And then he ends up in this place called Kirith Ravine. And I, just for time's sake, I, I, you could just trust me that this is a story, and you can read it later just for scriptures. But he ends up at Kirith Ravine, and it says he drinks from the brook, and he eats the food that comes from the birds from the sky. See, what is that a picture? It's a picture of the brook represents the Holy Spirit. He's drinking of the river of the Holy Spirit and he's eating the food that comes from heaven. In other words, he is connected to the Word and the Holy Spirit's a picture of intimacy, of connectedness, of closeness, of being sustained by who God was. It then says, now go to Zarephath where a widow will provide for you. Just as a side note, your provision is always where God's called you to be, not always where you are right now. Yeah. See, so often what we want is God give the provision and then I'll go. God says, no, no, that's not how I work. I'll call you to come. And when you come, that's where the provision will be waiting for you. 
on the other side of your obedience. And, and, so, and, and then again, he, he ends up at Zarephath, and what does he do? He drinks, he partakes of the oil and the bread. And again, it's a picture of connectedness, of closeness. He's drinking the oil, which again is the Holy Spirit, and the bread, which is a picture of the Word of God. And so Elijah, this whole start of his journey is the way that he started out in ministry was this picture of connectedness, of, of being sustained by, by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, of hearing the voice of God. And because he lived like that, he ends up at this pinnacle in life where he leads a national revival. But then this moment happens where one message from Jezebel, and it literally changes everything. I wonder if you can relate in your life. I'm sure you can. Where one message all of a sudden changed everything. You got some news that you knew when you heard that news. This is a game changer. It's never going to be the same again. Maybe it was during COVID and you got a message from your boss to say you're no longer required at your, your, the place where you work. Or maybe it was a message from a doctor or you found out something about your children or someone you love that they'd gone off the rails. Maybe it was an affair or or, or, and so Elijah gets this, this one message that literally changes everything. You know, if you read the text after Jezebel speaks, it says he was afraid and he ends up under a tree suicidal. This is the first time in the text where Elijah listens to the wrong voice. If you look at the rest of the story, he kept listening to the right voice, the oil, the flower, the brook, the, the, the word from heaven, the, the, the prophecy. He kept listening to the right voice and therefore he ended, kept ending up in the right place. But this is the first time where Elijah listens to the wrong voice. And because he listens to the wrong voice, he ends up in the wrong place. See, see, I tell you, even the way the world's going right now with the media and different things that are being said, if you listen to the wrong voice, you will end up in the wrong place, even emotionally. And so he ends up under this tree and the angels come to him and they say, you need to eat some food twice. And, and they say, you don't have enough in you to get to where you need to go. In other words, you've ran out of gas. You're burnt out. You, you've got nothing left. In other words, what you've put in to get you here has now ran out. And so then he ends up in this cave of escapism. And there's this moment where God speaks to him. And he says, and it's kind of unusual. It'd be like this if I said, Pastor Ed, I really need to speak to you. Like, it's really important. I've got to speak to you. But here's three ways of how I'm not going to speak to you. That's kind of what God did. It's a little bit weird if you know the story. Because God, like, he said, I'm going to speak to you. And then the fire comes. And God says, but I'm not in the fire. And then the, 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 the wind that literally broke the rocks, but I'm not in the wind. And then the earthquake that shook the mountain, but I'm not in the earthquake. And then it was the still small voice of God that caused him to put the cloak over his head and come out of the cave. And God was in the still small voice of God. And it's kind of unusual because why in the world would God do this? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Like, if you think about it, well, why would he do it? It has to mean something. And, and what it means is this, is when God brought the fire. See, I believe that Elijah had moved from being sustained by who God was and, who, and God's word and voice to trying to be sustained by what he did for God. 
See, see when, when God brought the fire and said, I'm not in the fire, Elijah knew about fire. Elijah was the one that stood on Mount Carmel and literally saw fire come from heaven. But God was communicating, Elijah, the fire might have been what you did for me, but it's not the thing that sustains who you are. He then bought the, 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 the wind that literally crushed rocks. And he says, but I'm not in that. Why did he do that? Because again, Elijah knew about the breath and wind of God. He stood there with a dead, lifeless boy. and He asked for the breath of God to come and bring this boy back to life. And again, God was communicating, Elijah, that was the, the wind was what you did for me, but it's not what sustained you, Elijah. Elijah, do you remember the brook? Do you remember the oil? Do you remember when you were hungry for the word that came from heaven? And Elijah had moved from trying to be sustained by what he did for God rather than being sustained by who God was. And then again, and, and this happens all the time when people burn out. And, and then again, when, the, when the, the, the mountain shook, because again, Elijah knew about earthquakes. He had literally uh, caused political systems to shake, weather patterns to shake. But God was communicating, Elijah, you've got to understand that's what you do for me, but it doesn't sustain you. Elijah, the only thing that sustains you is my voice and my word. Elijah, do you remember how it began? You were hungry for the brook. You were hungry for the oil. You were hungry for every word that came from heaven. But somewhere along the line, he moved from being sustained by who God was to think that he could be sustained by the things he was doing for God, which is actually a lie from the enemy because the things you do for God actually takes from you. Whereas when you're being sustained by who he is, it actually fills you up so that you can do the things for him. And so Elijah ends up in this state where he had forgotten to be sustained by who God was. You know, the, the, the second thing is that he had forgotten, and this is a bit of an old Pentecostal cliche, but he had forgotten that new levels equals new devils. But there's so much truth in that. See, sometimes we, we forget that we actually have an enemy who wants to take us out, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to wreck your marriage. He wants to see your children go off the rails. And we sometimes have this mentality that when we start stepping up into the things of God, we start maybe tithing, we start serving at church, we, we, we start to believe for our business to go to a new level, our marriage to go to a new level. And we kind of think that the devil is going to roll out the red carpet, send flowers. I'm so proud of you in your new house. You're stepping in all that God's got for your life. You know, here, here's a letter. Oh, you've started tithing to help the kingdom advance. Well done. So, you know, like, like it, it doesn't do that. As soon as we step up, new levels equals new devils. And Elijah had forgotten this. See, when he fought the 350 bow prophets, they represent 350 individual demons. Sorry, the 450. They're individual demons, and he slayed them all. You know what happened after he slayed the individual demons? is straight after that, the atmosphere started to change and it began to rain. It began to rain on people that didn't even fight for the rain. And what that is a picture of is that when you, and we all have them, when you in your personal life fight some individual demons, 
What do I mean? Well, maybe grandma struggled with fear and anxiety and mum struggled with fear and anxiety. But you're the one that says, you know what? I'm going to be the one that overcomes fear and anxiety. I'm going to fight this personal demon that's been in my family for many years. And what happens is when you overcome that personal demon, the atmosphere starts to change for your children and your children's children. And they start to receive the rain even though they didn't fight for the rain. See, if you trace my family history back, it's addiction after addiction after addiction. But my wife and I have fought and continue to fight battles so that that we slay individual demons that have been in our family so that two little boys get to enjoy the reign of heaven that they didn't even have to fight for. But he had forgotten this principle of new levels equals new devils. He just led a national revival. He defeated some individual demons. But now Jezebel was about to speak. Jezebel was not an individual demon. She represented a principality and a power over the whole nation. The 450 individual demons, they all served Jezebel's wishes. And that's why you would say, how could her words of by this time tomorrow you'll be dead? How could they cause him to end up in such a spin after being on that great high? Because her words were literally drenched and laced in demonic oppression and suicide and depression. And when she spoke those words, he wasn't ready. For new levels equals new devils. Let me just do a side note for a moment. See, we need to be aware of this principle but not focused on it. See, I'm aware of new levels, new devils, but I'm not focused on it. I'm focused on the fact that the devil is a defeated foe. I'm focused on the fact that greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. And so don't be that person that, you know, every time you meet them, they tell you everything the devil's doing in their life. But actually, when you understand this principle, what it actually really does for me when I understand it, it is that I buckle down more into point one. See, we're planning a church. Let me tell you, the devil hates the church that lives inside of our hearts because it represents lives being uh, freed and and, and people being saved and the kingdom forcefully advancing. So the more that I understand this principle, the more I know I've got to buckle down. I've got to be sustained by his voice. I've got to be sustained by the brook and the oil and the word that comes from heaven. And then the last point is this. Just if someone could come and play keyboard, that would be cool. We're going to pray. The last thing is this, is, and, and Elijah missed this moment. He missed an opportunity to come out of the cave and get real with God. See, the cave, it speaks of escapism. And I think about this. I think about when pressure comes, what it does in me is it reveals cracks. And if I think about revealing of cracks... I'm a visual person, so I I see this picture of myself with these cracks and like illuminated light shining out, representing my struggle, my dysfunction, my hurt. And, and, And when I wasn't in the pressure, I couldn't see the cracks. But now that I'm in the pressure, I can't not see the cracks. And that's when the temptation comes to find a cave to hide in and a cave it speaks of escapism a a cave could be way too much Netflix could be too much alcohol 
A cave could be work. It could be your job. It, it, it could be some kind of sexual thing. It could be a whole array of things. It could be food. And, and we're mature enough to know that some caves are more destructive than others. But let's all be honest, the cave's a cave. A cave is a place that you're hiding so that you don't have to deal with the stuff that's being revealed. And Elijah ends up in this cave. You know, a great quote from a Navy SEAL said this, that when pressure comes, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. I'll say that again. When pressure comes, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. In other words, what pressure does is it actually just reveals where you're really at. You you know that scripture that says, when, when tribulation comes, it produces character, perseverance, and then hope. If I be honest, when tribulation comes for me, it doesn't normally reveal character. It actually reveals a lack of character. Like when that person hurts me, and for a day or two, I'm walking around, I'm offended. I'm, yeah, that's not revealing character. But because it reveals a lack of character, I can now work on that area of my life, which will eventually in turn produce character, which then brings perseverance and hope. And, and so Elijah ends up in this cave. And it's another message, but it's always the voice of God. We talk about this in our addiction course. It's always the voice of God that will bring you out of the cave. It was him hearing the voice that brought him out of the cave. But there's this moment where God asks him a question. And he asks the same question twice. He says, Elijah, and maybe this is a question for you. He says, Elijah, why are you here? How'd you end up here, Elijah? Why are you in this cave? And Elijah gives a very self-righteous religious answer. He, he says, well, God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's still serving you. Everyone else is deserted, but I'm the only one. And then the fire, the wind, the earthquake. The, he did that from within the cave. And eventually the small voice of God gets him out of the cave. And then God asks him the same question again. Elijah, why are you here? And verbatim, if you look at the text, he gives the exact same answer, word for word. There can only be one possibility of why God would ever ask you the same question twice. There can't be any other reason. I mean, as humans, there's a few reasons why we would ask the same question twice. One, I I didn't hear you. I didn't hear your answer. So I'll ask you again to hear the answer. God doesn't have a problem with hearing. Two, this one happens a lot in marriage. We speak a different language. And I don't understand what in the world are you even talking about? So I'll ask you the exact same question again to try and get better understanding. God doesn't have a problem with understanding. He actually knows your answer before you even give it. The only reason why God would ever ask you the same question twice is because he's good and gracious and you gave the wrong answer the first time. And he's giving you an opportunity to change your answer. But Elijah missed it. He he missed his moment to come out of the cave and get real with God. And I I don't know exactly what it was for Elijah. We do see some things when he's at his worst. Because sometimes your worst reveals what's deep down. He talks about how all of his family had all been failures. 
And I don't know what it was for him, but maybe he's getting real with God as he just had to come out and say, God, deep down, I've always believed I'd fail. Since I was a little boy, there was things spoken over me and I've always believed I'd fail. And when Jezebel spoke those words, it rang true with something deep down in my spirit. Father, would you help me to believe better? I don't know what it was for Elijah, but I know he missed it. And so much so, because if you actually study the text, God then at this point, he says, okay, fine. He says, go and anoint Hazel to be king and anoint Jehu, who's going to kill Jezebel, and then find Elisha, and he's going to take over from you. That's the will of God, yeah? God says those three things, really clear. Go do these three things. But if you follow the text, Elijah only goes to Elisha. And then the chariots come up to take him to heaven. So actually, Elijah never anointed Hazel. He never anointed Jehu. And see, the thing to me there is there eventually comes a time in life where if you won't deal with the thing that God's asking you to deal with, eventually he'll find somebody else to do the thing that you were put on the planet to do. And Elisha went and anointed Hazel. Elisha went and anointed Jehu. Don't get me wrong, Elijah is still a legend. Like national revival appears again in the New Testament. But he didn't fulfill everything God asked him to do because he was unwilling to come out of his cave and get real with God. As I close with this last story and then we'll pray. You know, the... Remember... It, it was uh, a while ago now, I think it was 2019, September. And this guy came to minister at our church. His name is Mike Connell. And he moves a lot in deliverance and freedom. He's about 70 years old. And he sees powerful stuff happen. And when I knew he was coming, I said to myself, I, I'm not, the way I earn my money, at least now that that'll change soon as we start a church, but the way we earn our money is to travel around the world and, and to speak. And, and, but when I knew he was coming to the church we were part of in San Diego, he was coming for three weekends, three weeks. I felt God say to me, don't book any travel. Just don't worry about money. Just get around this man. And I asked my senior pastor if I could drive Pastor Mike and his wife. And, and so for three weeks, and, and you've got to understand, at that point in September, I was on top of the world. Like we had just launched Freedom Experience we had moved to America and it took a year. I went from being booked every weekend for a year, you know, like all over the world. I moved to America. It was tough. It was hard, but we're starting to break through. We released this course. I was getting invited to all these big churches. We're on top of the world. And then Mike Connell comes. And literally after a day or two of driving him, this stuff just started bubbling up in me. Like stuff that I thought, no, no, no I've already dealt with this. Rejection abandonment, hurt from when I was a kid. And the more I got around with him, the stupider I sound, sounded. I was saying things like as if I was back in high school. I'm like, what? I'd go home, I'm like, what in the world is happening? And this stuff just starts bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And after about two weeks, we do the, a, a staff retreat with about 100 people and he's there to minister. And he's preaching his message and he's halfway through and I'm already just sitting in my chair just bawling. And eventually he does the altar call and I'm straight up to that altar call. And now I'm not just crying, but I'm, I'm ugly crying. 
Like, like, I, I'm serious. I reckon there's some people on staff at that church that are still in counselling today just because they saw me crying. I'm literally bawling there. And after about 20 minutes of just bawling, he comes and all he says is, spirit of rejection and abandonment come off him. power of God hits me and I cry for another half an hour on the floor. God spoke some beautiful things to me in that moment while I was on the floor. And I'd love to say that at that moment, everything got better. It actually got way worse. You know what sometimes true deliverance is? True deliverance is sometimes revealing something in you that you are unable to see. But now that you can see it, you've got work to do to deal with the dysfunction that you can now see. For me in that moment, if I'll be honest with you, there were some caves that I visited in my younger years that I thought the cave was actually the problem. But in that moment, I realized it was the line of rejection that drove me to the caves. And, and I'd love to say it got better, but it got worse. And that was September. It was about October. For four years, there was a couple who had a little discrepancies, nothing major, but with leaders because rejection was now like bubbling. So the way I'd view everything was not right. And then it's about a month later. And when, you, when you're an immigrant, I, I used to not have grace at all for immigrants. I remember I'd be at church and oh, I'd pray for my visa. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But be honest. Then when you're an immigrant and you don't have a visa and the country can tell you to go at any moment and you've got your job and your house and everything, but you're carrying this weight. We had spent, I think, about 30,000 US dollars on visas when you're living by faith. And, and, but all of it would be eventually to get this green card. And we're on this journey and we're four years and we're at the finish line. We're about to put in these final forms that then we've been told we'll get the green card and all the pressure's off and I don't have to keep paying. And, and so he's just brought up all of this rejection. And the day before we lodge our forms, the lawyer rings me and he says, Lucas, we've found something that you committed a minor crime. When you were 19 years old, you got caught with $50 worth of drugs. And that actually makes you inadmissible. You can never, ever get a green card in the United States of America. I spent $30,000. But all of it was to get to this, this, this moment. And then finally the pressure will be off. And if I be honest with you, it sent me into depression. I had about a month or two because the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. For four years, that was my finish line. And now they've removed, there is no finish line. And, and I saw a psychologist about five times and, and he helped me a lot of Christian psychologists. And, and, and if I'd be honest with you, each day it was hard to get out of bed. I would drive my kids to school and I didn't even want to go home because I knew how depressed I was. I would sit in the car park at the shopping center and just sit in my car and listen to music. And you've got to understand because... God's revealed this fault line of rejection that's linked a lot to my dad and childhood. But now think about it. I'm not being rejected by a person. I'm being rejected by a whole country. 400 million people don't want you. <laughs> and I remember each day, I tell you, most of the day I was in bed for just for weeks. But each day I'd try and drag myself down to our garage and I'd put the worship on 
And I try my best to just read even a little bit of scripture. Because I had to make a decision that I've got to be sustained by the word. I've got to be sustained by the river. And then it was literally after about a month, I'll never forget it. It was like the Holy Spirit filled my whole garage. I felt his presence and I began to weep. And he spoke to me and he said, Lucas, I had to allow it to seem like you've been rejected and abandoned so that I could deal with the rejection and the abandonment that's been living in your heart your whole life. And literally God brought so much healing and strength. You know, it was only probably four months later that COVID happened. God spoke to us and said, you need to go right now. Five days later, we had packed our whole house and were on a plane to come home with five days notice. We actually thought we were just, it was temporary. But you know what? That, that season wasn't even that hard because of what God had done in the season of pressure. I want to pray for people in this place today. If you stand to your feet, like I said, tonight, I'm going to preach a message that in nine years of travel, there isn't a message that I have that has brought more freedom than the one that I'm going to preach tonight. Like that's not an exaggeration. I'm talking by the hundreds. Seeing people get free of anxiety, depression, self-hatred, suicide, addictions. And so if you don't normally come out, why don't you come out tonight? Because sometimes God will reveal stuff that you don't even see. But right now, if you're in this place and just with every eye closed, and you'd say, Lucas, I've been in a pressure test. Or, or, or maybe, Lucas, I relate to there's, there's a cave that I've been hiding. Or you've just been going through a season of pressure with every eye closed. And you just say, Lucas, can you pray for me right now? If that's you, lift your hands to heaven right now. Yeah, it's a lot of people, a whole heap of people. Father, I thank you right now for the Holy Spirit. God, we just thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost, we just thank you so much right now. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.